It's the Addicts Comedy Podcast, with your hosts, Millennial Heroin Addict, Andy Gold, and Baby Boomer Alcoholic, Curtis Matthews, two comedians with long-term recovery and marginally useful insight. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and nothing said here should be construed as medical advice. Curtis and Andy are not trained clinicians or even very intelligent. Now, please enjoy the ramblings of these two big butter-filled fat sluts. like to give me are we gonna say hi to people how's this thing started we can just start talking hey everybody we welcome need... to the addicts comedy no podcast really... go ahead andy everybody are, are, we have an intro all right welcome to the addicts comedy podcast we don't need to say that when you come here it gets repetitive you didn't need to go back and say anything right now you could have just gone back to what i said all right um so you always give me guff for laying on the mattress there <laughs> Um, but I don't have anywhere to sit, so what else am I supposed to do other than lay there? Andy, it's not the laying there that bothers me. I mean, yeah, granted, I got a one-bedroom apartment, and you're in the front room. On, It's just I walk in, and there's lotion next to you and air freshener, and you haven't washed the, the sheet, and you just sit there like... Just a beached well touching his nuts. It's 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 frightening. It's shocking. What? And then, but what look, am I supposed look at this. to do? There's with... deodorant just sitting here, just like, hey, who wants a stick of deodorant? That's uh, that's classy stuff too. Arm and Hammer. <laughs> could you made Could you have made that out of like your own baking soda and some water? <laughs> could have your own antiperspirant. All right. There. Well, let's go ahead and unpack all of that, shall we? There's nothing Give to unpack, me... man. You, I'm telling you, you are just a pig of a man. I mean, I love you, but you're a piggy man. So. If not laying there on the mattress, where should I post up? Turn the to, well, since it's an air mattress, why not turn that air mattress into like an air chair and sit on the chair? Uh, it does not work that way. Okay, so I've answered that question. <laughs> um, the sheets. Say, sometimes I do jokes. You don't need to explain that they're not possible. Uh, the sheets I plead guilty on. Uh, the deodorant. Where should I put it? Uh, in the bathroom where deodorant goes. I'm thinking. Okay, I can handle that. Don't worry about me stealing that dollar ninety nine item you got there. If I was That's on the price actually... of the right, I would have hit that right on the nail. What's wrong with Arm and Hammer exactly? I didn't say there's anything wrong with Arm and Hammer. It's baking soda, basically. You use it for inside of refrigerators. That's what, you... and cutting up your drugs. So Arm and Hammer is a brand, and they make baking multiple soda. products. No, they just make baking soda. Then explain to me what's going on there. I don't know. They took baking soda and made it into antiperspirant. Why don't you do me a favor and take off the lid and smell it? I don't want to smell it. I'd rather smell your armpits. All right. I think I do. I think this whole place, maybe it smells like your pits. All right. Let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's do it. I've been here for a spell. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, is it wearing thin? Have you been here for a minute? No, I'm using uh, your, your, your... No, yeah. Well, here's yeah. the interesting thing. I don't I'm kind of a, uh, I like when people, if they have a debilitating uh, inability to be around a lot of people for a long time, people just call them introverts. I don't think that's true. I, I think that's, uh, you know, you're constantly surrounded by people. Yes, I like my alone time. I live by myself for a reason. Um, and very few of any people do I let in my space. Uh, that being said, even you, a person I care about very much, 
Um, are you wearing thin on me? No. Is the presence of another human being in my space wearing thin on me? Yeah, probably. But, it, you know, it's not has nothing to do with you. Well, I was going to stay. I was actually going to ask today if I could stay here for another year. Okay. Well, if you want to start paying rent, actually, I might be open to it because I got bills to pay. So, you know, there you go. Another year, you I, could... I don't want to pay rent. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen. And I was wondering if maybe you could pay me. Uh, <laughs> to live here just to kind of hang you could pay me to hang no i'm okay man uh plus i worry about you need to go see your girlfriend she misses you she actually had a really good explanation of uh the difference between an introvert and an extrovert but i forgot it mm -hmm. but it was something like uh if you fill at ease in a group like do groups and one of them is like chatting with strangers uh i think i'm kind of an extrovert because i like i like uh riffing with people, strangers and what have you. At my day job, uh, there's a mentally ill woman who comes in. She is the lady who locked herself in the bathroom. Right. And when she meanders on in, uh, all of my other sandwich boys run and hide because they don't want to riff with Steph. But I post up, stick my chest out and say, hey, Steph, how you doing? And we banter back and forth and she's completely incoherent. But she can remember my name now and, you know, we just get along swimmingly. I talk to all kinds of people. You know, that's a, an interesting thing. I know a number of comedians. Uh, I wouldn't say what you do is comedy, but I know a lot of people that uh, get up into bars and yell into microphones and think it's different than just being a guy yelling at a bar uh, like you. Uh -huh. um, I mean, we're good with people. It's almost like you go up, you do your show, you're happy to meet people. But when you're done, you're like, eh. You know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. want to be by myself. I mean, so a lot of the comedians I know are, are pretty much... They're not necessarily people persons. That's the problem, though, you know, in terms of uh, comedians getting followings and stuff like that. The more a person, you know, likes uh, to hang out, I think the, the better their chances are of becoming popular, if that's important. That's but, certainly true. You know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as long as you're not a dickhead, too. But here, when you were uh, doing that uh, speech for all of those... Uh, Freemasons or whatever it was over in... Uh... It's a Rotary Club, man. They weren't Freemasons. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they weren't part of the World Order. They weren't the Illuminati. It was uh, a Rotary Club. Who wear those hats who help kids with one arms and whatnot? What are they <laughs> I called? I think those are, that's the Moose. I think that's yeah. the Moose Lodge. No, that's the Elk Shriners. Lodge. Yeah, the Shriners. Like that, yeah. Curtis was doing a gig for the Shriners. It wasn't the Shriners, man. <laughs> he told everybody... They weren't wearing fezes. ...that I was an introvert. Um... I mean, that's partially true. One thing that's annoying is uh, back when I was still uh, dating before I met Sasha, everybody uh, who I dated, all the ladies wanted me to, like, be on. Not wanted me, but they expected me to, like, uh, tell them jokes and shit yeah, that's, you know, and that's, stuff. That's weird. I mean, that, that's the thing they used to call, uh, they used to call comedy groupies jokies. And usually they're more interested in uh, your, yeah they're more interested in your brain and the way you think than your body at all because you know anytime I ever saw a comedian on stage trying to be sexy or hot it's just stupid it's not even funny anymore it's like what are you doing why are you you know hey ladies I know one comic used to give out his hotel room number every time he was up there hoping somebody would show up some crazy stalker would show up in his room well I'm fixing to pull all kinds of tell on stage before I mention my lady friend. 
Have you ever noticed the air that leaves the room when I talk about how I'm in a relationship when I'm on stage? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to play with you. Yeah, man, palpable. I notice it. Yeah, I feel <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Everyone gets sad, including me. I'm like, oh, man, who is this woman he's talking about that I've never met? So um, not, not a great segue here, but one thing I had written down that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, this is about you. Okay. So, do I have to think again? Because my eyes will roll up in the head and you'll think I'm not paying actually, attention. Actually, now you just lended it, lended it to a perfect segue. Because I've noticed how good you are mm-hmm. when you think before speaking. Mm. When you just talk, it's uh, completely dreadful. But when you actually... <laughs> but completely when, dreadful. Yeah, right. but when you actually let the wheels turn and take a moment and process things, you're usually really uh, insightful and pleasant to listen to. Yeah, I, I'm a bit... Well, I think a lot of people with long-term recovery uh, that that have a much, you know, better, more serene life than I do. I, I think we become almost like uh, recovery rain men. You know what I mean? Like it's not we're not we're not talking about it all the time, but you know, you know, when you get thirty-four years, you you know what to do. You know what you're supposed to do, whether you're doing it or not. You know what to tell people, whether you're doing it or not. Um, you know the right answers to most situations in terms of. Of, of good living you know it's like you and I were talking just the other day and I was talking about being responsible as a comedian and a comedy producer and things you should do you know it's like there there's you know there's certain rules and laws set up about you know where you should have gigs and how they should be and you know I don't know so I just think it's about as we get more and more time we don't have any excuses for for playing fast and easy you know what I'm saying so that's all I so I know that stuff and it's in the back of my head. It's not the first stuff I talk about. I'm not. I wish I could be one of those recovery dudes that just every day I spew out something, you know, that people go ooh. Um, but I'm not, you know. I mean, I know all. Those, I know all those little. Hey, man, I used to be a hopeless dope fiend. Now I'm a dopeless hope fiend. Stuff like that. that yeah, makes, but I, I really don't like that stuff. No, I know. But I'm saying I like. Sometimes I like guys that like regurgitate because like, it's solid advice, you know, behind every. Behind every slip is a skirt. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, where there's more. <laughs> I don't know why you hate it. I think it's kind of, it's homey to me. You know I, what I mean? I guess. It's just, just because there's alliteration doesn't mean it's meaningful. All right. Just, okay. Yeah, just because it rhymes. All right, people, man. like, All right. I guess, you know, you're a simple man. Hey, wait, and, li- listen, just because you give up meth and now and do heroin. Bible quotes doesn't make you a meth. The dist. <laughs> See, that's the kind of stuff I love. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I like it in, for uh, the the silliness aspect right. of it, but not for uh, anything. That's I think s- too many people do, man. That's how O.J. Simpson got off. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And everybody went, <gasps> oh. "Wow!" Yeah, I don't know if everyone went, "Oh," but that is a Mark Lundholm T-shirt that's available did. in his store. If if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And okay. then it says, "We." I'm just saying. So Lundholm is one of those quotable guys, but I actually kind of like his quotes, to be honest. With yeah. You. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. got some good stuff. But uh, most of the time, if it's that stitched on a pillow, it just doesn't do anything for me, You know me, what he man. said the other day, which I, because I, I love Mark, and the other day he was talking about uh, how he has to talk to kids in Detroit. He goes there every year and, like, does a whole bunch of stuff in Michigan, like, five days and and uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, something about drug dealers getting busted and, and drug dealers uh, um, going down for a long life term. Uh, and then he said something like, uh, hey, man, if you're 0 for 3 in life, you can't really call yourself a player. I went, ooh, you know what I mean? Ooh, you know? 
So that's all. If you're 0 for 3 in the yeah, life. Yeah, something. I, I'd have to find the exact quote. Don't get me. But I'm saying Mark is constantly thinking about what is it that I can say that's interesting and catchy for people. And that's why we, we let him go last. He's just like a moving billboard on our show. It's fantastic. Well, I'm going to be going last after you guys both pass away. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, can I tell you, like, the, the sooner Mark and I can get there so we don't have to talk to you, probably the better. I'll come to your funeral. Hey. I, you're not invited to my funeral, I'm Andy. speaking at your funeral, dude. Okay. And what I have to say is going to be sincere, and I'm going to pay tribute, and it's going to be funny, and I'm going to steal the show. I love that that's what you're thinking. I can't wait till you die so I can steal the show. Yeah. Okay, you're you're a selfish man. Um, let's talk about that for a minute, though. Oh, H- boy. How do you want your funeral to be? Do you want it to be mournful, or do you want it to be like a good time of all your friends just hanging uh, out and busting balls? I like those. I actually kind of like those uh, Puerto Rican ones where you set people up, um, you know, and they you like you you get them, uh, you know, you have them embalmed, and then you put them like doing something they love, like playing cards or something like that, you know, and then mm. the family comes in and sits at the table with the dead guy who's playing dominoes. I think that, you know what I would like to do? Just have me embalmed, sitting there, uh, worried and depressed, smoking <laughs> and watching hockey. That's what I want. That's the things I love. <laughs> um, they actually do that in Puerto Rico? Yeah, it's weird. I think it's Puerto Rico. It's somewhere in the Caribbean. But like, yeah, people like to, you know, like a guy will be playing cards. They sit him at a table and people come visit the body. And yeah, I, I saw one like that, but I thought it was rare. It was this dude. um, he was sitting in a chair playing PlayStation with sunglasses on, and he had a Mountain Dew and some Doritos. Yeah, there it. you go. <laughs> playing NBA 2K. It's a weird thing, though. They got to put the sunglasses on because you don't want those weird eye, those dead people eyes just kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. staring at you or whatever. Well, when I die, I want to be cremated, and then I want my ashes to be put a, in a pinata so the children can also enjoy my funeral. You know, funerals are very boring for kids. And... But we won't tell the kids that it's my ashes in the pinata. Uh, we'll tell them it's candy, and then they whack it off, and my ashes dissipate into the air. And all of the uh, all of my brothers First of are all, like, I think "That's gonna... your uncle Andy. Breathe him in, children. Breathe him in. Uh, th- His dreams are you going to be going to be your dreams." I think, probably, I think they probably won't be whacking off the pinata, but I will think. <laughs> you know what, what else? I, you should have them hit it. What I said. Yeah, you said you're, they're all going to be whacking off the pinata. That's what you said. Um, <laughs> that I, was a Freudian slip. Yeah, because you always touching your nutsack. <laughs> I think. <laughs> okay, we're gonna. It's oh, gonna be three minutes while Andy laughs. Everyone, <laughs> whack go, it off. Go out and get pinata. a sandwich. Go oh out, man, go that was a, funny. Go get a soda or something. Okay, let me know when you're done. I'm done. All right, excellent. Uh, <laughs> All right, go <laughs> whack it off. The pinata. <laughs> See, what I love is you said that, <laughs> and then just find it so amusing. <laughs> oh, she <laughs> hey, 
everybody. If you're looking for a headliner, come down to recoverycomedy.com. Clean and sober headliners, not only the professional comics, they're also comedians that don't use drugs and alcohol. Does that make them more fun? I don't know. Maybe. People frequently ask, hey, just because you don't drink drugs and alcohol, you think you're better than me? The truth is, yes, we do think we're better than you. So if you're looking for a recovering comic, go to recoverycomedy.com and talk to Rich. Send an email to rich at recoverycomedy.com. Use them for your NA, your AA, your CA, your SA, your SLAA, your OA, your EIEIO, whatever it is you got. Call Rich, and he'll get you a comedian. You can also use us for a smart recovery. Okay, what was that topic you wanted to jabber about, Curtis? I don't know if it's jabbering. I want to talk about, because uh, depending on what season this is released... This you, podcast, you stinking, you stinking rascal. Yep. I was. By the way, I was thinking about your last thing. Was you know what I'd like for my funeral is like everybody to dress like Johnny Cash or and June Carter, um, and then just play creepy Johnny Cash music from the his last album, uh, just on repeat. That music's not creepy. That music is lovely. I man. hurt myself today to you see thought, you think if that song's, I could. You really feel. think that song? It's creepy? haunting, man. But that's what well, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Or your own personal Jesus. Just yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not saying it's not great. I'm saying it's it'd be creepy for a funeral. Okay, here's what I want to talk about, Andy. <clears throat> okay, and, and this is something I think is important for all people in recovery and everybody, just normal people too. Um, the concept of hope. Tell me what oh, provides you hope. Snapdragons. Let me tell. Tell me what provides you in your life right now hope for a, a brighter future for you and what keeps you uh, grateful every day. So it's hope. That's what I'm going to ask you. Now you got to roll your eyes in your head. It's a thinker. No, I don't have to roll my eyes. I'm much more mindful of my body language than you. Oh, I don't. Boy. That's why you're touching your balls right now. Yeah. Oh God. Um, I only touch my balls around people I trust, Curtis. Oh, that's so freaking weird. Isn't that weird to say that? Do you say that to your mom? I trust you, mom. <laughs> Creepy, man. Go ahead. Tell what, me about hope. What for you. gives me hope? Yeah, just tell me about hope. How do you how do you maintain hope and and your cheery disposition each day? Well, I think the uh, the disposition is pretty much uh, just a gift. I think I'm uh, naturally sort of a just a cheery, cheerful person. Uh, a lot of people think I'm a negative person because I like to talk shit. Um, the thing is, dude, like, I'm not soup. I, I think in a lot of ways I'm actually pretty realistic. Um, there's the Curtis, or excuse me, there's the Andy that you know and that you talk about, which is the young, hopeful dude. And then there's the Andy that a lot of comics know from back home, which is the same person. But they actually might think I'm a little bit more negative because I'm kind of realistic. Let's talk about comedy for a little bit since we're talking about hope, about the chances of making it. Uh, what an unwise career path it is, the random nature of, uh, you know, who makes it and who doesn't, or at least the seemingly random nature. I think hard work uh, plays a role in it. Um, whew, what gives me hope? I'm just trying to think if I have much hope, man. Are you not in control of your body right now? You no, I'm just... flummoxed. Flummoxed is a super, word. This sounds super dark, but I think... I, I just take on the dismal uh, future with a certain cheerfulness, M much more than hope. Okay. Yeah. A Curtis, dismal cheerfulness. 
No, no, I take on the dismal future with a certain cheerfulness. I got you. Um, I do think there's a lot of stuff that's out of my control, and I'm putting it in the hands of uh, the universe or higher power or whatever you want to call it. And I'm doing the work and doing my end of it as best I can, and whatever happens, happens. And if I'm in a good mood, I'm not going to fight it. Okay? Uh, If I'm enjoying my day, I'm not going to fight it because of my circumstances and everything like that. And, you know, maybe I spend uh, a lot of time daydreaming about what the Addicts Comedy Tour could be, what this podcast could be, uh, what my comedy career will be after you pass away, and things like that. (laughs) Because I'm holding you down. No, but until you pass away, I'm uh, just, uh, what did you call me? The the drummer for the Rolling Stones, and you get to be Mick Jagger. And You're Charlie Watts. No, I'm more like, if I could play guitar, I'd be Keith Richards, I think. Okay. Um, That's a tricky question. What gives me hope? Um, I, I wish I had a, a brighter answer for anybody listening. I think I'm fortunate in that uh, I still laugh and have a good time despite... Uh, Maybe not having a lot of hope. <laughs> okay, Andy. Yeah. I got a little depressing for people that are out there. Yeah. It's, let me tell true. you. <clears throat> let me tell you what I see when when I see you. Okay. Um, I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche. Scaramouche. Ugh. Can you? That's are you? Are, did, wait a minute. Are you? Are you hucking queen? No. Um, I, I think that you and you said something to me and, and, and I like this because, y- you know, if you if you get under a lot of times, I just let off a lot of steam by saying stuff. That's the way I get into gratitude sometimes is by like saying, you know, like I'll wake up in the morning, and go oh bloody hell, you know, yes. or whatever. And that's I, I'm, I'm grateful to be alive. I really am. But I, to get all of that negativity, because I think. One of the reasons why I, I drank, you know, and uh, as much as I did was to hide from my feelings, which I don't know how to process. But now, you know, instead of drinking or, or doing things that are too damaging to myself, I'll just wake up and I'll make weird noises or I'll go, ah, oh, bloody hell. Or like you asked me to do something and I go, you know, I'll just I'll say something snappy or stupid back. But we get it done. It's like uh, tomorrow night we're doing a show to help out, you know, the, the homeless of San Francisco. Well, you know what? There's days when I uh, don't like those guys and girls. I don't like them. I don't, sure. I, I don't want to like them. They remind me of me in a lot of ways. I want to just taint punch them. You know, there's many yeah. things. But when push comes to shove and you're like, do you want to help homeless people? Yeah, I do. And I will, you know. But before that, I'm going to bitch and complain about, you know, doing the show and do I have to bring socks and do they have to be fresh socks or can I just take them off my body and give them to a guy or, you know, I mean, I, there's gonna be all sorts of stuff, but I'll do the show. Um, the same is true when I talk about comedy. I mean, ultimately I've been doing comedy since the eighties and I love it. I love doing it. I've done great. I've done poorly. Um, you know, I, there's a tiny fan base that enjoys watching what you, I and Mark do. Um, but uh, do I, uh, is it everything I thought it would be? No. Uh, should it be more? No, I'm in acceptance about it, just just like you are. But one of the things you did the other night where you went out and you like to do spots, you know, and I, and I used to do a lot of open mics in the 80s and 90s, and I liked them, man. I went out and I did it. And you came back, this is, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and you said to me, you said, I just really love doing comedy, you know? It makes me feel good. 
uh, and uh, I enjoy uh, doing, uh, making people laugh and, and feeling that joy that's inside me. And that really is, you know, that really is the basis of when we get on stage and make people laugh, when we are coming from a place of service, you know what I mean? Which is like when it stops being about us. I mean, trust me, Andy, you and I will probably be, always be frustrated if whatever it is we're doing, we make about us and what we get out of it. Because ultimately, I don't necessarily think because we're not intentionally trying to go out and affect uh, other people, I think by living a good life and being a decent example, uh, we do inspire others around us. And, and so you inspired me when you kept it simple, you know. And so when I get on stage and people are laughing, there's no denying I'm decent at what I do. And the same is true about you. When you get up and you do that gift, you're decent at what you do. And so I took that in and I learned from you. And, you know, that goes back to one of the reasons why not only are we doing this podcast, but also... You know, I'm in this time of life where uh, I like hanging around with a younger dude who's uh, who's more hopeful. This is starting to sound kind of gay, but that's all right. Uh, Whoa, gay is not a pejorative. No, mother. No, I wasn't wasn't saying it was. I was just I was commenting on what it what it was. I don't have a you're the one. See, look how you snapped. You're so concerned about gay people. I think you might be homophobic. No, that's what I think the problem is. Anyway, what I'm trying to I'm say... I'm more zeroed in on the, the current climate of the world right now, especially millennials, and they hear you calling something gay as a pejorative. No, I said... No, I, I wasn't. I was saying... Oh, man. So I was saying... Our, like, okay, I'm sorry. Our, our relationship sounds what? Homosexual? Is that what you wanted? That's not what you say either. Curtis is not a homophobe, okay? No, I, I know that. You insufferable social justice warriors. How Get dare a life. You. How dare you? Okay. Okay, anyway, back to my love for you, Andy, that's that platonic and full of friendship. Um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're here because it, it reminds me to keep it simple in terms of comedy and, and, uh, and life. And, you know, I mean, I don't hear you complaining every day. You went over... You know, you took a job to make sandwiches in San Francisco. I can't imagine, man. I can't imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. A- and maybe you're just more willing to do the work than I am right now. And uh, But I am in, in acceptance about where I am and what I do. And I try to remain hopeful. And some days it's hard. So I was just asking how you do it. Well, okay. So I'm just going to get honest uh, right now. And this is going to sound... Hopefully this doesn't sound too disturbing. Um the reason I used is because I thought life was uh, hard and not fun and uh, meaningless. Not meaningless. No, I, I did think it was meaningless for sure um, and pointless. Uh, and nothing I did, I mean, so, so I just used to escape the burden of, uh, of life and being... Uh, a man all right that point of view is still there but it's been refined i don't i don't think life is meaningless or pointless anymore but i i think my time on this world is not very uh it's not of great consequence okay um and i still think life is uh full of hardships and it's really bad in a lot of ways and it's uh uh not going to be a triumphant a glorious experience. Uh, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy myself. Okay. Like I was saying in the, in an episode a while back. Okay. When we stop using, we're not promised an awesome life. We're, we're just promised a life. And, and that's what I have now. And I think if I've accepted 
the realities of life and what it is. And I've learned to manage my expectation. It's, and it's not that I'm all that hopeful for what the future has. Um, if I'm being realistic, I think what the future has in store for me is a, you know, pretty mediocre comedy career. <laughs> and yeah, I'm going to disappear into the ether. And within one or two generations, nobody will remember my name. And the impact I make is going to be uh, completely irrelevant and inconsequential. But then again, the mark that the earth is going to make on the universe itself is irrelevant and inconsequential. Uh, I'm a speck on a speck in an infinite, vast universe. And I think that brings me comfort in a way. And uh, I'm okay with that. And I think uh, that bearing down on me was uh, too much at one time, so I turned to the needle. So that's not the typical... uh, you know, inspiring piece of uh, insight that you get. Well, from it a sounds lot of- like you were speculating. <laughs> you know what? After that, I really want your dealer's number. I got to be yeah, honest. Yeah. It was a little. No, I'm not. You know what? I want. I'm not going to try to pull out of that with white. I my my ability to have healing humor that brings people together. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to say uh, that was really honest, and I thought it was great. You know, at the same time, I don't. I I will already tell you right now, Andy. <clears throat> If I'm being honest, um, you're special, man. You you are special, and I'm grateful for you, and you should be grateful for you. And I know your parents love you, and I know your girlfriend loves you, and you know I love you, and you know uh, Mark, who I work with, loves you. Um, you know we care about you because you're 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 a special dude, and and you're a bit of a light. And I know you weren't asking for any of that. Uh-huh. I'm just telling you right now, you know, uh, you're already punching above your weight. So possibly it's time for you to check out. Because you've done it all already. <laughs> your best moments are behind you. But but no, man, I just I wonder how people keep hope because I know, you know, you and I got long term recovery and recovery should be fun. You know what I mean? Sure. Sobriety and recovery should be fun. So on those It should be yes. on their days when it's not fun and it's just life, uh-huh. you know, well, you know, so what what do people do then? And I mean I think the answers are before us. You hang out with people more hopeful than you or yes. be of service. Being of service is uh is really really helpful all right there's always somebody who has a worse it's also just a good way to get out of your own head yeah. for a minute you just go and you're, you're often present when you're being of service you're doing the thing you're not in your own head anymore and that kind of lends itself to what i was talking about you're not that big of a deal okay there's no sense in spending too much time uh moping over and sp- thank you for the kind words by the way all right um i think you're okay that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. It's not about me. I have enough time where I don't care. <laughs> Go ahead. But no, it, uh, there, there's something I can actually find serenity and getting out of my own head and be like, oh, you know, uh, my bad day isn't that important. And being of service is a great way to uh, achieve that. And you can be of service in any number of ways. You don't have to go down to the, you know, soup kitchen and put on rubber gloves and, you know, give a bunch of tweakers some chicken noodle and what have you. Uh what what are, what what is are that some a ways? sexual thing? Giving the tweakers a chicken noodle, chicken noodle soup. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yesterday I gave three tweakers a chicken noodle. So you were talking about hope for people who we're talking about hope and recovery, but what about hope for people who are still out there in the wild? Okay, um, you've described your bottom. All right, you've told that story. Um. When I was hearing your story, it definitely sounded like the alcoholism got away from you long before the bottom hit. Um, 
Did you ever have hope of uh, getting away from booze when you were in active alcoholism? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, and I think at some point, you know, you're honest with yourself and you know that you're out of control. You know, for me, I so hated who I was in life and where I was going. And I was in so much pain that I, I only stopped drinking when I fell asleep, you know, and, and it was um, and I knew that. I think it, and that's the thing, man, you know, there's, and I'm not saying anybody should ever become hopeless, you know, but I see, you see these dudes on the street, right? We see the same dudes over and over again. There's something that's keeping them hopeful that something's going to happen. You know what I mean? And maybe they're not doing the footwork to make it happen. But I think, you know, I, I think if I talk to any dude that's just out there being crazy and pooing on the street or whatever, he's got, he's got a dream of something, you uh-huh. know? Um, so I think even when you're using the fact that you're alive, you got a chance, you know, I, and, and I was telling you this, I know a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the fact that there was this 23 year old girl that I knew that overdosed and died. And I talked to my friend who she's 27. I talked to her on Facebook and she's out using, and I'm afraid she's going to die, you know? Sure. And, and I was talking to Mark Lundholm, right. And, uh, and I said, uh, you know, he said, most people that are still in active addiction are, are, are going to die young. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just it, it. Most of them, most. It didn't used to be that way. I mean, drugs are so messed up right now that most people that are still using are probably going to die. Um, at the same time, if you if you're alive today, you have hope. You know, if I, I think about people that have drug problems that have kids, you know, I mean, I suppose you only look in the face of your kids and what they expect from you and what they want from you. And, and, or if you, if you don't have kids, you look at your parents or you look at your loved ones and you go, these, these people, you know, they care about me. I wish I could care about me as much as they care about me, but you have this hope that, you know, maybe I'll do less drugs today. Maybe I'll wake up and not do drugs until whatever, 11, or maybe I'll only do drugs late at night or whatever your stuff is, but like just making that progress and having hope. So, so what is it? I, I, I honestly, I think if you're alive and you're in the game today, then you have hope. And what you're going to do with the day, that's up to you. So I was just sitting here thinking, I think maybe I, I realized something just now. When I was in active addiction, the difference between hope and lying to myself and being my own enabler. Um, I would tell myself, I'm going to stop using heroin uh, next week. I'm going to stop using heroin tomorrow. I'll stop, you know. Um, and that was always when I was loaded on heroin. I had false hope when I was on heroin because I wasn't kicking. I wasn't dope sick. I wasn't miserable. So I had this false confidence where I, I continuously underestimated the strength of my addiction and the agony of withdrawals whenever I was loaded. And of course, the, the last year or so of my addiction, hope was just gone. I had accepted I was a junkie and I was going to die. But leading up to that point, I was still doing that delusional thing where like, okay, I'm going to stop tomorrow. I'm going to stop on Monday. Uh, one, last, one last shot right now. And all of my moments of air quotes hope came when I was loaded. Um, but there were moments, few and far between, where I had hope when I was actually going through uh, – Withdrawals. <laughs> okay, Curtis just took a selfie of us. That's why he's laughing. I think it's important for us to have picked press. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where I wasn't loaded, I was actually uh, sick, and I had moments of uh, a life without uh, dope. And I think if you're out there in active addiction or active alcoholism, 
uh, that's the hope that you got to pay attention to because that's not delusional, uh, dope-induced, drug-induced, booze-induced hope where you're telling yourself that you're going to get your shit together and get away and get clean. I think if you ever have a feeling of getting well when you're dope sick and not just using, uh, that might be real hope. So, and those moments were uh, few and far between in active addiction. And I mean, the real hope didn't really take hold uh, until, you know, I was in rehab and then I had like 30 days clean under my belt and I actually started uh, contemplating uh, a life without drugs and what that would be like. And with that came hope. With the contemplation came hope because I had a reason to hope. I was actually thinking about um, a life without uh, drugs. I'm kind of a, despite being, you know, cheerful and joyful and, like, you know, kind of obnoxious, I'm, I'm actually kind of a pragmatist by nature. All right. I need a reason to be hopeful. And some of my first memories of hope is when I was contemplating recovery because I had a reason. All right. It wasn't just this idea that was floating around. There had to be something. There had to be something there. Now that I have more years under my belt, I realize that practical reasons for hope are a little bit more uh, present. They're more obtainable. They're easier, you know, to see. And I've learned to manage my expectations. Okay, I'm not hoping uh, to sell out Madison Square Garden. Okay, Um, I'm not hoping to release a a comedy album on Netflix that's going to win a Grammy. Okay, I'm hoping to uh, make a modest living doing comedy and uh, entertaining people in recovery, especially people in early recovery. And I think I'm, I'm I think I'm basically doing that now. So, again, I have practical reasons to be hopeful, and it's not that hard to see if you just, you know, have that mindset and bother to look and and want to find it. Okay, this is important because as a senior member um, of this podcast, uh, let me tell you what was wrong with that share. Uh oh. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. Oh. How, who would do that? <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, can you imagine somebody like they, they sh- they're in a business meeting somewhere and they're, and they're sharing and somebody uh-huh. goes, let me tell you what's wrong with that. Who would do that? <laughs> who would do that anyway? On- no, man, that was great. A lot of people, yeah. No, it was great. It was honest. And, you know, that's what I appreciate about you. It's, you know, you can be funny. You can be honest. You can be sad. You can be angry. I, I make you all those things. So mostly sad and angry on a daily basis. But, you know, we work it out. <laughs> And confused. You certainly confused. confused. Yeah. 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 I like, you know, what? one of my favorite things is like when I invite you to teach a class and then you disagree with me in front of my students who pay me. I love that. <laughs> Everything he says is a lie. That was a favorite last night. It was really. <laughs> this is my guest, everybody. He cares about me. <laughs> he makes things up. I don't know what that was. That's just your <laughs> ego jumping in, trying to get you fired once again. Okay. Anyway, man, do we have any questions? Is that where we're at? Where are we at? Oh, yeah. We actually got way off topic, but we got it was no really, man. I was really a good, good I really wanted to talk about that. Yes, um, let's see. Okay, I'll ask your question All first. Right. Okay, okay. Um, Casey from Santa Monica says, um, 
How do you know when someone is a real alcoholic? Do they have to drink every day until they pass out? Do they have to lose everything? Or as somebody who just likes to get shit housed two or three times a week, an alcoholic, how do you know? What do you have to lose to be called a real alcoholic? What do you have to lose to be called? You know, that's what he asked. Uh, okay, honestly, well, I will tell you, this is the definition that works for me, right? And uh, the definition that works for me is that once I start drinking, I can't, I can't know when I'll stop. Once I start drinking, um, you know, the, it, it's not. I can't just walk away. Another good thing that that I was told when I first got sober was, uh, you know, give up if you if you think you got a drinking problem, give up alcohol for thirty days. And if for some reason, you know, at the end of that thirty days, you're jonesing for alcohol, or all you can think about is alcohol, then you probably have a problem. Because I think normal people with alcohol, it's like, oh well, that's nice, but they don't obsess on it, and yeah. they don't use it for medication. So I think the way, and it can be a person drinks once a year, but they drink once a year and they get trashed. That could be called that's a periodic. You know what I mean? That's mm. a that's a, a periodic drunk. It means I, I'm only going to get drunk four times a year. But when I do, I get really drunk. That's still an alcoholic. Is it affecting their life? Maybe it's not. There's a lot of functional alcoholics around. You know, they have a certain blood alcohol level they keep at and they keep everything together. And that's OK. It's just when you can no longer uh, control your uh, the amount, your, the amount of intake, how it makes you feel and the things around you start happening that you don't have control over, then you probably yes. have a problem. So. Yeah. I don't think it's the frequency, and you know, I remember when uh, one of my uh, girlfriends, when I was first, she was normal, supposedly air quotes, right? And she said to me, she said, "Oh, I had no idea you were an alcoholic. You dress nicely," and I went, "Not, <laughs> not." Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, because right. I'm just saying, a lot of people they look at TV and or whatever, especially back in the 50s or 60s, and every alcoholic, you know, had an overcoat on and, and the, no pants. The homeless man from Back to the Future. Yeah, something like yeah. that. And it's like a lot of us uh, never looked that way, you know. So um, I think she was surprised by that. But, you know, I know that when I, when I start drinking, I will drink until I get drunk and pass out. I won't, you know. And I also know when I get drunk, and I'm – I at first, Andy, when you asked what time of drunk I am, because I've never seen you using drugs, and you've never seen me drinking. Mm-hmm. Thank God, you know what I mean? But like uh, alcohol for me, um, I would start off being happy and friendly and then I would get quiet and then I would get violent, you know, and uh, and then I would get quiet again. Um, But uh, I I think uh, what what I've started to discover over all these years is that, you know, there's stuff underneath that, you know, there's stuff underneath that. And what is it? It's really getting it's really getting to that. And I think I grew up an angry kid. You know what I mean? And I was. And no reason to be angry. I had great parents who did the best they could with what they had. Um, I went to I went to good schools. I had decent friends. But you know what? I just thought I deserved more. And I was angry that I didn't have more. And I was angry that I didn't have more money and I wasn't better looking and I wasn't more physically together. And it's like I was angry about that. But, you know, has all that anger gone away? I don't know. If you – I honestly – betwixt you and I, Andy, this uh, – Getting on stage thing as, as a comic, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, that's a cry for help. You know what I mean? When I see people grabbing a microphone, going into the public and sharing their opinions, part of me thinks that's a big cry for help. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I think if I was more together, I probably wouldn't um, have gone on stage. Now, all that said, I'm going to stop and just go back to her question, which was, how do you know? If somebody uh, can't control the amount that they drink, whenever they drink would be my answer. And I don't think it's about losing stuff. So, you know, and that's really a, uh, a question for the person. 
All right. There you go, Casey. Uh, Also, Casey, I I used to live in Santa Monica. It's a good place. It's okay. All right. There's a, there's a, there's a, remember the log cabin? You ever go to the log cabin in Santa Monica? That was cool. Down on Pico? Yeah, a lot of cool sober people down there. All right. Uh, This is from Bob from French Lick, Indiana. Larry Bird's hometown. Wow, that's so random then. Okay, uh, why does my fat... W- okay, I really don't like that. Why does my fat wife give me hell about <laughs> me taking pills when she can't stay away from Arby's for more than 48 hours? Maybe I can't function without my Percocet, but at least I'm not slowly killing myself with delicious beefy deluxe sandwiches. I don't know what the question is there. Uh, oh, why is his wife... Uh, what's the double standard with people, I guess? What's the double standard with people? She's got an eating problem, and she's mad at him about his Percocets. Well, it sounds like you both need to worry about yourself. All right. Um, I mean, it sounds like if she's mad at you about your Percocet, they weren't just prescribed by a doctor. It sounds like uh, you're abusing them and have been for some time. Um and you're using your wife's weight to justify your own addiction. Um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased. I think having a, a pill addiction is probably worse than being fat, depending on how fat your wife is, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, why does my fat wife... Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast, too. Um, or she's not a fan of... I think those people must have come to see us in Indianapolis. I'm trying to think when we were ever near French Lick. But um, it sounds like you each need to just worry about yourself. That's always a pet peeve of mine, actually, is when e- even when somebody has a few years under their belt and they're in recovery and they get mad about what somebody else is doing and, this, and they do a whataboutism is what it's called. They do it in a lot of politics. You see it in, a lot, in politics a lot. I'm not going to get political, but both parties say... Uh, uh, a reporter will ask the press secretary, hey, so-and-so uh, lied about this. And they'll say, oh, well, what about when the other candidate did this? Okay. Well, you're not handling your own business. Okay. That doesn't alleviate you of your own work. All right. Your wife can balloon up to 500 pounds. If you're still snorting 10 Percocets a day, you're still a, an opiate addict. Okay. Uh those two things exist independent of each other. And it's one of the oldest justifications in the book, to be honest. And it's a habit that sometimes doesn't go away when you get uh, time under your belt. Um, worry about yourself, work your own program, and don't be resentful of your wife going to Arby's. If you love her, uh, you know, try to live a healthy lifestyle with her. All right, that's what I can say. All right, well, I'm going to say uh, if, in fact, she accidentally eats uh, 10 beef and cheddar specials, she's uh-huh. probably not going to drive into the side of a school bus and kill people. Uh, whereas if you're on Percocet, she might fall asleep and drive off a freeway ramp. You know what else? If they switched addictions, maybe they could both get to a maintainable weight. <laughs> That reminds me of a, that, of a pinata and whacking it off. That reminds me of my classic bit ah. of uh, the sandwiches, where you can come to see us live if you want to see that, addictscomedy.com. All right, that'll do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, God bless you and your mothers. Yeah. Say hello to God your mother. God bless your for mother me. and your hello. mother's butt. Shame on you.